and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand here with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Julia. So this is a great podcast. Do you know of any other great podcasts? <laughs> uh, that was a great segue. I can't believe last week I had a big note on my uh, on my desk to to talk about something, and I and I totally forgot. Um, so David Tennant is is a Scottish actor um, who I discovered when he was on Broadchurch. So he was a he was a detective on oh, on Broadchurch, yeah, 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 um, yeah. and I liked him on that. And then I mean he's he's been around for a long time. He was Doctor Who for a while. Um, he was Kilgrave in Jessica Jones. He does a, a ton of stuff. And last year he started a podcast. And the name of his podcast is David Tennant Does a Podcast With. Uh, and the reason it's called that is because he has a different guest every week. Uh, and so it's just him talking to people. Now, um, season one was mostly people he had acted with. And I think it was actually sort of a little bit of PR for Good Omens, which was an Amazon Amazon movie, which I enjoyed. But, but it was all people he'd acted with, and they ended up talking about a good, good omens a bit um season two uh which is the current season which is which is going on now i think because you know people listen to the first season he now is just talking to to people so some of them are actors some of them are not uh uh jim parsons who's in the big bang theory uh stacy abrams who we know from um uh, u.s politics george takei uh, who is, of course, an actor, but also increasingly been involved in activism, especially around uh, internment camps for Japanese Americans uh, around World War II. Um, and so w- what I really like about it is that uh, he's a really good interviewer and he has an amazing accent. Uh, and so he could say anything. I am very jealous. As an American, I'm very jealous of non-American accents. I'm sure there's like a whole field dedicated to studying that. Uh, but David Tennant could say anything, and I would think it was really smart. Um, but in fact, he is a good interviewer. But I've I shed tears on several episodes this season because people are talking to him about, you know, it's not only acting, and it's kind of fun to hear about you, you know, what goes on behind the scenes and just the career a little bit and the job as opposed to what we see on, on the screen. Uh, but people talk a lot about their personal struggles with, you know, various things in family life. And um, I think it's a, a really humanizing kind of podcast. So I really strongly recommend it. Uh, David Tennant does a podcast with, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, and David, if you uh, ever want to be a guest on our show, uh, you're you're more <laughs> than welcome. <laughs> if you're a little, we'll work around your schedule. Uh, you know, I think we can be pretty flexible. So I'm I'm busy. I will see. <laughs> well, Julia, <laughs> maybe if you're off a week, I'll just have David fill oh, in yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah. Replace me. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyway, we'll so the, the David Tennant and the Squeeze. I love it. Yeah. Perfect. Exactly. Maybe he's the Squeeze. Maybe so. <laughs> I don't know. We'll find out. Okay, so I, I could go on for a while, but I won't. I'll stop. Although I, I'm not a creepy stalker, uh, just a fan. Awesome. <laughs> Which, of course, but is this... what a creepy stalker would say, right? Right, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But does he send stickers to his listeners? Not that he's mentioned, actually. Oh, well, so that's a thing that we have going for us, dear listeners. Thanks to those of you who have been writing in with suggestions and comments and asking for stickers. I still have a bunch of stickers. If you want to uh, have stickers um, or tell us anything else, uh, juiceandsqueeze.net is a great way to contact us. And uh, so uh, last episode, two episodes ago, 
sometime, we talked about um, this really uh, cool little postcard as a reminder for us to keep balanced. And so it says, you know, what I thought would make me productive. And there's a big circle that says hard work. And what actually does is a circle that also includes time off and sleep and healthy eating and exercise. Um, and, it, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of cute and, uh, and also a really important lesson that I need. Uh, and so I ordered a few of these uh, and I have extras. And so the first five people who um, write to us this week, I will send you in addition to a sticker, I will send you one of these little, these little cards to remind you to have a balanced life too. How nice. But yeah. Well, anyway, I like supporting people who do like creative work. And I just think it's something we all need reminders of. Um, the other thing I'm going to brag about is, uh, is my children. Uh, our twins have developed this sixth sense. And so every time I start recording a podcast, they wake up and start yelling. Uh, oh. so, so we've had that a couple of weeks and, and this week they were sleeping, you know, not a peep from them until I clicked record and now they're, uh, they're awake and excited. So I guess they're cheering us on, Julia. I think, I think that must yeah. be it. They want yeah. a sticker. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I'll, maybe I'll save one sticker for them. Yes. Hashtag pandemicing while parenting. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, David Tennant sounds like he has a lot going for him, but one thing that he does not do, I think I haven't actually listened to his show, is ever talk about the peer review process. So that is something you can also only get well, from us and other academic podcasts. Um, the topic for today is, uh, so, so last time we talked about how to do peer review and our kind of philosophy and strategy for, for, um, for being peer reviewers. And today we're going to talk about the other side of things, which is when you as an author have submitted a paper, uh, how you deal with the reviews that you get back. So Jonathan, you want to go first or you want me to? Uh, you go first. Okay. So here's what happens. Julia is sitting, working hard at her laptop, looking fabulous in whatever outfit she's wearing. She checks her email. Suddenly, she sees an email from editor, comma, fabulous journal, with, uh, usually for whatever reason, the, 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 um, the subject line of these emails always are just like a long series of letters and numbers because it's like, decision about manuscript, JEP, LMC, X4271. Um, her heart begins to pound. The question is, does she immediately click the email and find out what it says, or does she wait a little while? Um, so this is like, the, <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, even before responding to reviews, um, sometimes if I'm not in a headspace where I want to deal with a review, I will sometimes wait. Usually not. Usually I can't help myself and I have to just look and see if they liked my paper or not right away. Mm -hmm. But there have been times where I have like strategized about, you know what, if it's bad, I don't want to deal with this right now and I'll look at it tomorrow. But usually I just click on it. Um, and then you see this paper that you have spent a bunch of time working on, probably, you know, a year uh, uh, working hard on. You have lovingly crafted it. You have sent it away. And now th three to five other people are going to tell you what they think. Um, and so my process is typically to quickly skim to get a sense of how good or bad it is. Um, then alert all of my co-authors, uh, and then usually give it a little bit of space. So I tend to not like sit down and start working on it in a lot of detail right away. I get a sense of like what the broad strokes are. I get a sense of like how, um, you know, how worried I should be, how much time I think it's going to take, how just get a broad sense of what the situation is. 
And then later on, when I actually have like time and energy to devote to thinking about it, then actually starts, you know, reading it, reading it in a lot of detail. Mm. Um, so as I start responding to, to the reviews, um, what I'll generally do is copy the entire document that the editor and the reviews have sent into a new blank Google Doc um, and start making notes and comments about each of the comments that my co-authors can then uh, respond to, too. So to try and find like themes like, oh, yeah, reviewers one and three talked about this thing. So that's definitely a major thing we have to change. Um, and then as we address each of them, I will put in a different color font or like bold underneath the, the ways that we have addressed it. So that then that document can then become the response to reviewers document. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I've only started doing that in the last, I don't know, maybe five to seven papers that I've done. Um, before that, I just started changing things and then tried to write the response to reviewers. And it's much easier if you're like keeping track of what you're changing um, as you're going. Um, we'll talk, I'm sure, in a little bit about how you make decisions about if there are things that the reviewers suggested that you don't want to do. Uh, and having that document there is also a nice way of keeping track of all of the things that you are doing to try to, to you know, so you can flag like, I don't think we should do this one but let's see. Um, you can see how many of those I don't want to do this one there are. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's the, the broad picture of, of how I do it. Yeah. And, and that okay. is, it, can I just, so, so my broad picture is essentially identical, mm -hmm. um, in, including looking fabulous. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and yeah. And so I, I do the same thing. I paste in verbatim the, um, the response letter and start and start, you know, typing stuff in. Um, one little, so, so I guess two, well, one, two, I can't count. Anyway, so, so one thing I do sometimes is, um, I was thinking about our discussion previously about how when you review a paper, it helps you as an author, right? So as a reviewer, uh, I, you know, having reviewed a few papers, I have developed things I like to see in a response letter. Um, the first time I had no idea, but now I, I sort of like it when authors tell me what they changed and make it really clear if they did or didn't change something. So then I try to do that myself. And, and so sometimes I will, in fact, write a detailed response without having touched the manuscript. So there'll be a comment saying, I didn't like so-and-so. And I'll think, well, as a reviewer, what would I want to see? And I'll just type in, oh, we've now updated this section to include this helpful thing you suggested. Thank you very much. And then I'll go and do the thing to make it true. Do you know what I mean? So I'll kind of like yeah. write the review letter that I want to send to the journal. And then I'll use that to tell me how much I need to change, uh, as opposed to changing all the stuff I want to change and then trying to summarize it in a letter. Um, have you ever had a review that had like zero comments you, that made you grumpy? Um, made, made me grumpy. I don't I know. Mean, like everything was positive and you were just read it and you, you were filled with happiness and, <laughs> you know, and, and then you were done. I, I, I one time had one paper that was accepted with minor revisions from the get go. Um, and that, that was pretty awesome. Okay. Um, but but no, I mean I think I think it's very rare to ever have anything that doesn't um I don't know about make you grumpy, but something you're like, <laughs> oh gosh, we have to do that now. Uh that that doesn't I, I mean I think I think that almost always happens. Usually for me, what happens after I have done it though is say, Oh, you know what? That actually made it better. That was a good call. Uh not always, but you know, yeah, often. Yeah. Um but but I think it's I think it's very unusual to have reviews that you just 
that you are just glowing top to bottom. Well, I guess that was my point. So, so you may be a, a more relaxed person and you don't get grumpy as much, but I think, I think I've always gotten at least a little bit grumpy at reviews. When I say grumpy, I, I mean, you know, you read through it and, and someone says something and you think, Oh, how could you think that you're, you don't know what you're talking about reviewer. Um, whether that's fair or not, but that's my kind of emotional reaction. But, but at the same time, I don't think I've ever had a paper that has not improved following review, which is not to say that every single comment is helpful, but, but going through the process, I think has, has uniformly strengthened my papers. Um, again, there could be some magical people out there who, who just write a perfect paper and don't need any comments on it, but, uh, I have not met those people yet. Uh, and, and, and really that's, that's the point of your review, right? Is that it, it is, I mean, supposed to be improving the product, uh, if, if the product makes it. Well, and I think, I think as in, so hopefully your reviewers have that perspective. And I think Julie and I try to do that when we review, uh, not all reviewers do, and we'll come back to that. But I think as an author, if you have that perspective that it's not about, well, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll speak personally. When I get reviews, it should not be about my ego and about whether I'm right or the reviewer's right. It should be about, hey, we have a thing that we're going to put out in the world. Let's make it as good as we can. And, and I'll take any help I can along the way. And I mean, it's easy to say in the moment I get very, I can, I often get very defensive if, if the reviewers um, criticize a choice that I made because it, either either it could be that I did not think the choice through and I know that it could be better and I feel grumpy about that with myself. Or it could be that I really thought it through and in my heart, this is the right way to do it. And then some reviewer who seems to know what they're talking about says, oh, I don't like I don't like what you did there. Um, and that's hard. Right. So I'm just trying to normalize and acknowledge that that's hard for most of us, I think. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, if you think it is really great and perfect and don't see all the things that are wrong with it, and then all those things are pointed out to you, that's also an opportunity to, you know, really beat yourself up about, oh, why didn't I think of that ahead of time? Mm-hmm. And and that's also, I think, super normal. And, and I do it, too. Mm-hmm. Well, and so that's where I think uh, um, I, I also do what it sounds like you do, Julia, is I frequently do a quick skim of of the comments uh, and kind of get a general flavor. And then I put them away for a couple of days. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and, and sometimes my quick skim is wrong. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll skim it and I'll get really depressed and I'll come back to it and I'll say, Oh, actually those aren't so bad. Mm-hmm. You know, occasionally it's the other way around where I think, Oh, those aren't so bad. And I go back and read it and, and there's a bunch of stuff to change, but, but either way, I typically need a little bit of distance before I can really, um, you know, kind of address them in a, in a coordinated way. Um, and so when you start tackling them, do you do like big picture stuff first or little picky stuff first? Or what's your approach when you actually start, you know, getting in the manuscript? I've done all of the above. Um, mm-hmm. It's a good question. I think frequently I will go through and change. All, so many reviewers will find typos or wording things, right? I mean, I've, I've had incomplete sentences, embarrassingly, that have gone gone out. And so they, they say, well, this sentence didn't get finished. And so that's a really easy thing to fix. And so I'll go in and add a clause. Uh, and then I'll, and I'll update the, my reviewer letter as I go. And I'll say, oh, thank you for pointing this out. I've, I've now fixed it. Um, and one nice thing about that is if you have, you know, two pages of comments or three or four or five pages of comments and you haven't done anything, that... I guess it's not a blank page because you've pasted in the reviewer comments, but it just feels like overwhelming. But if you can just go in and do some of them, 
then as you work through them, of course, you might be putting off the harder ones till later. Um, but then you feel like, okay, I've addressed half the comments. I've addressed the easy ones. Now let me, you know, think about how to tackle the hard ones. Um, so I think if, if, especially for difficult reviews that, that, that I feel emotionally conflicted about, uh, I, I just start with the easy stuff, change a bunch of that, and then I kind of move on to the harder ones. Yep. And just kind of right, narrow down the number of things that you need to deal with. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so it doesn't feel overwhelming. I mean, mm-hmm. so another strategy that people use um, is they, they, you know, read all the reviews and then Rather, a lot of reviewers will pick up on similar points, right? And so rather than than have this redundancy in their response letter, they will craft a narrative that say, where they don't paste in any text from the reviewers, and they, but they just say, you know, all the reviewers had this question, here's how we addressed it. One reviewer had this question, here's how we addressed it. Uh, and they kind of go through that way. Uh, and I see the merit to that, and I think I've even done it in the past. As a reviewer... I want to know. I, so I sometimes forget all of the points I made in my review. I know it's shocking. Like it's been a long, no, but right. it's, you know, they collect extra additional data. It's well, been sure. a year or whatever. Exactly. So let's say it's been, you know, six months or a year and you've reviewed a bunch of papers in the meantime mm-hmm. uh, and you get this paper and, and, oh, I don't remember. Did I, you know, all, all the things I said. And so if they just summarize and say all of the reviewers had questions about the, the theoretical framing and now we've fixed it. I mean, that's fine, but well, what did I actually say? Um, and so I think, uh, well, I, I know it is a strategy that authors use because I've used this before too. So if you get a bunch of grumpy comments that you don't want to address, you, you summarize them vaguely and say you addressed it, but you haven't actually addressed it. Um, and so as a reviewer, I'm like, I get, what, what's the right word? My hackles up? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I really, I, my warning bells go off if I, if I see a lot of vagueness in the response letter, because I just want to know what got changed. Mm-hmm. So therefore, as an author, I try not to be vague in the response letter. And I, that's why I really like the paste in verbatim kind of approach for, yeah, for most, yeah. most journals, I think. Yeah, I agree. And also if the reviewer, if the, if the authors are saying, uh, the reviewers had this issue and they kind of like summarize what several reviewers said, um, you're also counting on them to be like, to, to be like representing your concern perfectly, mm-hmm. which, which mm-hmm. might not always be the case. And so, yes. Yeah. Um, actually when people do that, I will go back, you know, I like save the reviews that I yep. have done and I'll like go back and look at it and be like, yeah, what, what was the issue originally? Yep. Yeah. Well, and I think a couple of times I've gone back to look and, and found that, you know, several of the points I made, you know, somehow didn't make it into the response letter. Uh, And so, uh, you know, because, because I mean, no one's contractually obligated to um, respond to all the points, even though we expect that. And so, so, so occasionally authors will, will not respond to all the, all the points, um, which which makes me grumpy as a reviewer because I spent time on the review. And and so anyway, so Mm -hmm. if they just paste it in, I, I get less worried about that. Mm-hmm. I, I would also say that's that's ethically pretty iffy. Well, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so so reason, reasonable to be grumpy about that. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I try I try to be reasonably grumpy occasionally, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so in amongst this talk of uh, grumpiness, um, I also want to mention a thing about responding to reviews that I, that I think is really important. And that is that even the reviewers say things that um, might make you grumpy, you might disagree with, 
all of those things. Um, it's important to remember that they read your paper and gave it a good amount of time and, you know, are busy people like you and read your paper, put some effort in as long as they're not being full on jerks. Um, it, it seems totally reasonable to, uh, be nice to them and, and thank them for what they have done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and even like not in just a boilerplate way of, we thank the authors for we thank the reviewers for their helpful comments, which have improved the paper. Um, but you know, when when reviewers make a particularly good point in a review, uh, in my response, I will say like that's a really good point. I didn't think of it. Thanks for bringing it to my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, there's just a human being who read your paper and didn't get paid four hundred and fifty dollars or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I think um, it, uh, it's another nice opportunity to inject some civility and gratitude into the process. Well, and I think, you know, um, even though it's a, a very weird conversation or collaboration, I mean, you know, between the editor and the reviewers and the author, there is this sort of, you know, I know whether we call it a collaboration or not, but we're all working on getting this paper better and maybe making a decision also. But, but I mean, it, the, the point is to to try to do good science. And so I think, um, you know, as a reviewer, we have a chance to kind of shape that conversation and shape the, the, um, the perspective that we have, you know, being positive and constructive and so on. But as an author, we also do too. And so I think um, what you described, Julia, I would think is always like a nice thing to do, you know, just as a decent human being and, and might help you in the review process, but maybe especially if you get a grumpy reviewer, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, um, I think sometimes um, it's it's tempting to to kind of sink to their level of grumpiness in your response. And I think that, you know, you know whether that's morally justified or not. Just practically, that's usually not very helpful. And so I think even if someone is not being particularly um, understanding or constructive of you, you can still turn it around and have a, a constructive, thoughtful response. And that can really change the whole tenor of the review process. And even if you don't affect that reviewer, you may affect the editor or other people reading the comments, you know? Yeah. Yep. So, so Julia, have you ever, and I, I could actually, I don't know the answer to this. So it's, it's a true question. Have you ever reviewed a paper when you were just in a really bad mood? Um, I mean, uh, no, I feel like, I feel like we're, um, Working on reviews is something that I save like really good dedicated mm-hmm. time and brain space for. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in a if I'm in a bad headspace, I wouldn't do a review just because I couldn't I couldn't do it justice. So no, but no. So so dear listener, uh, Julia is an outlier. I, I would predict Julia is an outlier among academics. So uh, and I do, this is not a it wouldn't be a humble brag. I don't even think it's a brag. It's an admission of a, of a personal failing. Uh, I, I review papers when I'm grumpy sometimes, and I've I've uh, unintentionally taken this out on the on the authors. Uh, and so, why does this happen? Well, because I'm busy, and because the review is two weeks late, and I know I have to do it. And so, I I'm very very busy and don't feel like I have time. But I set aside some hours to work on the review and I start reading the paper and just from the get go, there are a lot of problems with it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, and and I do try to filter this, right? I don't, you know, anyway, being who I am, I don't yell at the authors and tell them that they're, they're, they're bad and shouldn't be doing science. But I, I sometimes express my frustration with, um, with the paper's problems probably more than I, you know, 
I don't know, but more than I should. But anyway, I'm not as kind as I could be. Let's put it that way. Um, and so, uh, so I know that as a reviewer that that has happened. And again, I'm not uh, saying that's the right way to do it. But that means as an author, when I get grumpy reviews, I mean, yes, it's about it's a review about my paper, and I understand that um, my paper has something to do with it. But also, your reviewer may have been just having a bad day, right? And so if they say something that's very curt or short or they didn't understand something, it could be they didn't take two hours to try to understand that one point. Uh, it could be that they were having a bad day and were a little bit grumpy. And so when you respond in a kind of you know, thoughtful, measured, kind, constructive way, um, I think that can also kind of diffuse the situation. And in fact, maybe they didn't care. Maybe they weren't as grumpy as they came across in writing. D- does that make sense? Sure. And it may be that things that uh, you were interpreting as as curt could just be like, they're busy and they mm-hmm. spend a lot of time reading the paper and there's a lot of other comments that they're making. So mm-hmm. they're not taking the time to kind of like soften the language to make sure that it is, it is right. kind. And some people are just lousy at that anyway. I mean, yeah. I like to think that I'm good at that if I try, and sometimes I haven't tried enough. But but some people, I think, are just it's not in their it's not in their nature to uh, you know to soften the blow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I so you know I've, I've heard people say about about academia that like you just have to grow a thick skin and you know learn to deal with rejection and learn to deal with people being mean to you and all of that. Um, and and sure, like I think it's important to be able to distinguish our work from our self worth, absolutely. Um, but but also, I don't think that that's like I don't I don't like the idea of telling people that like that's just how life has to be, and you need to learn to deal with it. Um, because I think there's there's no reason for reviewers to be mean and and hurt, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think that's a, a structural problem that obviously when you are responding to reviews on a paper right now is not is not your job to solve, but is something that collectively we can all we can all work together to improve. Mm-hmm. I think being aware that this is a common occurrence is useful. So it's not just your paper. Um, and I also think that yeah, thinking about how we can make it better as reviewers is also is also really important. So there's this kind of is it a meme or a trope or or whatever of picking on reviewer two. Uh, and, and this may not be true. I have not done a statistical analysis, but quite often, um, of the reviewers of my papers, and there are usually two or three, uh, let's just say three, quite often one of them will be more grumpy than the other ones. And, and sometimes it's reviewer one and sometimes reviewer two and sometimes reviewer three, but you know, reviewer two is in there. And so reviewer two has gotten this bad reputation as sort of the punching bag for the grumpy reviewer. Um, and I, I think there's pros and cons to this. So, so, um, I tend to be a little bit pro picking on reviewer two. And the reason, the reason is that, um, it, I feel like it normalizes getting reviews that are hard to deal with. And sometimes those are justified. Um, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's because the reviewer is just really picky. And so you get four pages of, on line 47, please use a period instead of a semicolon. Uh-huh. Uh, and you're like, well, it just, who cares? And it's just so annoying, right? So that, that's very frustrating to deal with. There are people who, um, didn't feel, don't, don't seem like they understood the theoretical premise of the paper. There are people who just, you know, ask for lots of extra experiments that seem beyond what would be reasonable. And so I think kind of lumping all of those together and, and putting a face of a grumpy reviewer too, is useful in that um, it kind of normalizes it and and makes it well, for me anyway. If if I have a, a reviewer that I'm feeling very 
uh, I'm struggling with dealing with the comments about, uh, it's easier for me to kind of write it off and just say, you know what, this is a thing that happens. I just have to do the best I can and move on. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think there's another perspective, which I've seen people say. And so, you know, so for example, on Twitter, a lot of people complain about reviewers. Um, and, and I've seen people say, well, you know, that's not really fair because as reviewers, we donate our time and we, um, try to try to help your paper. And then to see you get on Twitter and like complain about us and badmouth us is, is not very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I also agree with that. So I don't think we should be calling out individual reviewers, but I think a general awareness of, of, the occasional grumpiness of, of reviewers is kind of a helpful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with the caveat, too, that I feel like people um, sharing stories of how terrible their reviewers have been um, might also help to normalize being a terrible reviewer. Yeah, exactly. Right? So people like, that's like, how well, you should do as, a review. Yeah, or, or like, as long as I'm not telling them they're dumb, I can say anything else, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I also really like it to hear people share stories of, you know, how reviewers were helpful and constructive to remind people that that's that's what we should what we should aspire to. Hey Julia, how about reviewer four is the helpful one, and <laughs> and and we just start promoting reviewer four, who is always <laughs> supportive and uh, don't often get. and yeah. yes, exactly. Well, I mean, it, it also strikes me when we talked about um, reviewing papers, and I was talking about how people uh, you, you see a lot of people like complaining about. Um, the fact that reviews take so long, but then also talking about the fact that all of their reviews, you know, are a month late. And and I feel like as academics, we we can't collectively both uh, hate on reviewer two and, I and mean, be like, reviewer two and, and be reviewer two. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, be like, I can't believe the terrible trash that came across my desk. Mm-hmm. What a waste of my time. But then also mm-hmm. be like, I can't believe someone reviewed my paper negatively. Um, you know, it's a real like um, <laughs> Garrison Keillor, like Wobegon, where like all the researchers are above average, right? Like we Mm -hmm. all think, we all think that our papers are the really good ones. And if a reviewer doesn't see that, it's because they're missing our brilliance. Mm -hmm. But when we see somebody else's paper, that's not brilliant, you know, it's because it's, it's just because it isn't. And so I think it's important to have um, a a good amount of like humility and kindness in this whole process, because it is, it's just, it's just you, it's just a different you on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, you know, so, and there's a range of things that get attributed to reviewer two, right? And so like I gave the example of line item edits on punctuation, which I don't really think is, is a useful thing for a reviewer to point out. And I find it annoying as an author, but it's also not like morally reprehensible to tell me about my punctuation. It's like sure. annoying, right? But, but you have the whole gamut of people then who, who, who do veer into really being insulting. And I've thankfully, really not dealt with that very much. I think that's some people do in some, maybe some fields that's more common, but I've never had an insulting reviewer. I think I would, anyway, that maybe that's, we should come back to that because that's unusual in my experience, but I know it happens. Um, Mm -hmm. But usually it's just, you know, anyway, when I say reviewer too, it's usually overly detailed stuff or maybe just giving me a hard time. Uh, But, but then I've already admitted to, to doing a little bit of that myself. And so I sort of, temper my it helps me temper my grumpiness when i'm a reviewer and it also helps me be more understanding when i get comments like that because i think well you know reviewer two is a person too and maybe they had a rough day yep um so so when so when you have had like comments that you think are like mean or inappropriate or um you know bristly um You you're you're saying that the best strategy is to be kind and uh, assume assume the best as much as possible and 
you know, try to just be nice to them back. Right? Yes. That- yes. That's what I would do. I mean, sometimes it's very hard, right? Like some, mm-hmm. I mean, in a, in a perfect world, you would do it with, with gratitude in your heart and a smile on your face. And you would just say, you know, can't we all love each other and, and, and really wish the best for them. Mm-hmm. Um, in practice, I've, not always felt that in my heart, but my words are, are, are very kind and, you know, you know, trying to diffuse the situation. And, and so maybe is this a good time to get into, um, sort of like comments you want to address versus comments you don't? Uh, cause again, I've never, let me just, I've never had a really insulting reviewer, right? Who was just yeah. like, you're an idiot. No one would ever do this study. Um, and I know that those exist, but I, I've never had it. So how would I respond to that? I, I think I would, I think I would say something like, "We appreciate your concern about this topic, but you know, we did it anyway." I don't know. We, you know, you have to just—it's just a throwaway thing that you hope the editor has the good sense to to see it for what it is. Yeah. Well, so so before we get to like, what do you what do mm-hmm. you and don't you address? I also want to just, I guess, like pick your brain about. So so I've. I've also never had um, reviews that I that were like mean, right? Mm-hmm. I've had mm-hmm. people be like, "Oh, I don't think this was a good choice," or "You haven't justified why it's a good choice," or "The theoretical background is murky," or you know things like that. But I've never had anybody like say something really mean to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like if I did, at least at this point in my career, I wouldn't want to say, "Oh, thank you for pointing out my inadequacies." We have tried to correct <laughs> that in paragraph sure. six or whatever. Yeah. I feel like I would want to say. Um, I feel like I would want to say, I can tell that you don't, you know, that the theoretical framing was not sufficient to make you understand the point that I was trying to make. I tried to reframe it. Uh, also that was mean. No, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that, but like, you know, but say like in the future, it would be helpful to, you Mm -hmm. know, like an alternative way of presenting this would have been to say, and mm-hmm. this way of framing, I feel like, especially if I had like students on a paper, yeah, like a more constructive said, way to put this would be yeah, X and said, Y. Like, yeah. Just so you know, this is three of the author's first papers and you know, this is the first exposure they're getting and it would have been much more constructive to say whatever. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and I realized that like, I'm saying that from a position of, um, of privilege that I have tenure. And if the reviewer were like, and, and the editor also went along with like, fine, forget it. You know, that would be less of a big deal for me than someone who was in a different career stage and all of that. But, um, but mm-hmm. well, like, yeah, well, <laughs> so, well, so first of all, I, I think if you really get a, a, a comment, a comment or an entire review that is like inappropriate, you know, for whatever reason, including just being mean, um, it's very valid to write to the editor, first of all, before you respond to the review and say, Hey, like, what's up with this? This doesn't seem constructive and whatever. And, and the editor may give you some guidance, like just ignore that review or do do the best you can, or I will rescind that review and just, you know, whatever. They, yep. they may respond different ways, but I think it's very reasonable to ask for guidance. I mean, I hope that I have never passed on a review like that. So I, I mm-hmm. think I look at all the reviews enough and I don't go and edit them, but if someone was, was a big jerk, I think I would have, or, or, or at the very least told the authors like, Hey, don't worry about responding to review number one, you know, because yeah. I just think that's the editor's job is to filter that. But editors aren't perfect. And so you might get one anyway. So, so yes, go back to the editor. That's fine. And then I also think it's totally fine to, to kind of call them out. The, the problem is, I, I mean, y- you know, it, it's, it's a little bit of a slippery slope getting into a combative versus collaborative venture with your reviewers. And so if you don't have a supportive editor, calling it a reviewer out 
might mean your paper doesn't get accepted. And that might be totally worth it. And I would, I would like vote, I would cheer for you doing that. But just from a practical perspective, it's a little bit dicey. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so yeah, I would contact the editor first and see what they, what they say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just don't like the idea of like, just making it be okay for reviewers. Oh no, no, no. Well, when I say mean, right. So like, um, a reviewer could, could say, uh, uh, something that, that, you know, that hurts my feelings, but that is also not morally, I don't know, inexcusable. Right. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, in the, in the introduction, the authors didn't, uh, uh, present the relevant background. Here are three examples that they missed. Well, that's a grumpy comment, and I feel offended because, of course, I tried to present the relevant background, but it's like a little bit of a grumpy way of telling me. But yeah. in that case, I would just say, thank you very much. We've, we've, we've improved it. Goodbye. Right? I mean, yeah. I, I, even, even if in my heart I was like, well, I think I did an okay job, like, pick your battles, right? And that is not a battle to pick. Mm-hmm. But if they really go over the top, then I think that that's, that's a fair battle to, to pick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, and and I would also say that, you know, as a reviewer, when I'm writing comments like that, I would think about what it would feel like to get those. And I would Mm -hmm. instead say something like, I see that you've tried to review the literature in the following ways. It would be stronger if you also made connections with Mm -hmm. these other relevant literatures, you know? Well, yeah, we also talked about, um, you know, last time about reviewing, about kind of splitting up between major and minor points. And so there's kind of like, oh, I wish you had made a connection with this literature. But like, if you don't do that, it's not going to kill the paper. You know what I mean? Sort of like mm-hmm. if it was my paper. So it's not your paper, right? If you're the reviewer, it's not your paper. You're trying to help it and make sure it's not inaccurate, but it's not your paper. So if it was my paper, I would have done X, Y, and Z. Maybe you make a different choice. But also, if you ignore a huge literature that is like really important, that probably is a major issue, and yep. you have to fix it. So, so I think as a reviewer trying to communicate that, like how important is this change, is is actually a useful, a useful thing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So now let's talk about uh, you're going through the reviews. Mostly, you think, yeah, I should integrate this with the literature better. And you're right, I missed a comma and whatever. Um, but then they say, hey. I would strongly recommend that you include the statistical analysis that is totally inappropriate for the data that you're using. Or have you thought about running an additional experiment that doesn't actually answer the question that you're interested in answering or make some other suggestion that you really don't want to do? Mm-hmm. What do you do? Well, so I have I have a little rule, uh, and it's not going to be a helpful rule because it's, it's very vague. But basically... Uh, again, you know, moral, moral fighting, the fighting, the good fight aside and assuming your reviewers aren't total jerks. Mm-hmm. You have like, you have a limited number of, of get out of jail free cards or whatever. Right. And so you, you have to respond to like 80 or 90% of the comments and actually change something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether it's 80% or 90%, I don't know, but you have to kind of like change stuff for most of them. Because again, as a reviewer, when I read your response letter, um, I made 20 comments about your paper. And if you go through and for 15 of them, you say, well, I, I, I don't really want to change that. You know, thank you. You know, whether you're nice about it or not, thank you for your suggestion. We left it as it was. Thank you for okay. your suggestion. We left it as it was. So then I feel like, well, you didn't change anything based on my review. And even if, again, because I'm old and have young kids and I've forgotten all of this, I know that I spent several hours on that review. And for you to write back and be like, we didn't change anything, I'm offended. And so it could be, it could, I mean, very, you know, 
um, maybe all of my comments were actually wrong. Like, I mean, I, I will cop to that. Maybe that was, I had, I had a bad day and they were all stupid suggestions and you shouldn't change them. But now it's six months later and I read that and it doesn't matter because I don't remember if they're right or wrong. All I know is you're telling me we didn't listen to you. So, and most people get grumpy when you, when you don't listen to their suggestions. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if, if most of the comments you say, oh, that's great, we changed a thing, uh, then I start to feel like, oh, I, I made the paper better. Uh, they listened to me. We're, we're in this collaboratively. And then if I get to one of them and you say, well, you know what? Thank you for the suggestion. But actually, you know, we talked about it and here's some reasons why to change it. And here's some reasons not to. And, and, and we did, then we decided not to change it, but it's a really good idea. Maybe next time we'll, we'll think about it. Okay. Then I feel like, oh, you know, sure. We all have different opinions, and I kind of feel like, again, it feels more collaborative, right? As opposed to you telling me all my suggestions were stupid. So, so strategically, um, I think, you know, you get one or, depending on the number of comments, you know, one or two things per reviewer you don't respond to. Uh, and I think I tend, I tend to try to explain my reasoning and show that I put some thought into the decision not to respond as opposed to I didn't feel like responding. Yeah. Right. right. Um, now, I've been on the receiving end of reviews that have done this, and it can be very tiresome to read through page after page of like verbose prose explaining why they didn't change stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, on the one hand, I think they were like taking my advice, but but too much. You know, so I've got I've definitely gotten reviews from people that changed very little and wrote me pages and pages and pages about it, mm-hmm. and so. From an intellectual standpoint, I guess we're having this discussion, but most reviews aren't open these days, and so no one's reading it. And so, like, my concern is not my ego with the, did you take my advice? My concern is, like, the, is the finished product going to be better or not? Yep. And so, I don't, I don't re- as a reviewer, I don't really appreciate all this prose. I just, I'm just like, did you change it or not? And if mm-hmm. you didn't, wh- why not? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I think it's that again, it's sort of like a limited, oh, I don't, again, it's not like you have to be super strategic, but it's a tool, you know, anyway, you have to kind of balance all this stuff. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 I, I was really struck. I remember when I was like in my PhD and talking with my, with my PhD mentor, uh, and responding to reviews. And there was one where I was like, I don't think this is a good idea and I don't want to do it. And he was like, Oh, you don't have to do it. And I was mm-hmm. like, what? You don't have to do everything they tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I agree with the picking your battles that if there is, you know, if there is a big major structural issue that all of the reviewers and the editors say you have to deal with, you better deal with that. But if there's something, especially if the reviewer, you know, frames it as like, I'm not sure if this is really necessary, but one thing you might consider or something, you know, those, those are certainly opportunities where you can say, nah. or even if the reviewer says, I think it would be really helpful to do this. Uh, and, and you don't, um, as long as you can justify clearly, why not? Um, I think it, you know, I think, I think that can, that can often work. Mm-hmm. Um, I do often try to have, uh, you know, e- even if the reviewer makes a suggestion that I'm not going to implement, um, I try to put something in the paper about why I'm not implementing that if, mm-hmm. if, if it's possible, if it works, mm-hmm. um, because that may be something that a future reader also thinks of. And if I just go back and forth with the reviewer about it, you know, behind closed doors and the secrecy of peer review, then it's not clear, you know, that then, then nobody else gets to know about that. So it's a pretty yeah. opaque way of making those decisions. Um, so if there's something where it's like, 
you know, did you consider doing this? Because it could be an interesting kind of analysis. You know, you could put in something like, note that although it may be interesting to analyze the data this way, given that the scope of the project was XYZ, we're doing it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure that's a great example in terms of, of analysis, but, you know, like future yeah. research, especially if they're like suggesting additional experimentation or something like that, saying, you know, future research should explore dot, 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 um, to, to try and have that, um, that conversation be more, more a part of the scientific record. So I, I, I really like that. And I think, again, thinking about our readers, right, it's not about am I right or is the reviewer right? It's about mm-hmm. 10 years from now, yep. there'll be a reader who may be a, 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 a graduate student or someone new to the field um, reading this paper. And so do they understand all of the decisions that went into it and, and, you know, like researcher degrees of freedom or just the statistical considerations? Um, and so I think just kind of trying to be transparent is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when they're used well, I'm a big fan of footnotes. Uh, and and it it frustrates me. Some journals, uh, I think, it's because of online stuff because footnotes are tricky online. But some journals don't allow footnotes. But I think a good footnote. So uh, you know, a cheating way to use a footnote, which is also okay, is like you leave your paper unchanged. A reviewer makes a grumpy comment. You add a footnote to like uh, appease the reviewer, right? You're like, mm-hmm. hey, also you could do this, but we didn't do it. But from what you're saying, it's sort of like you don't want to distract from the narrative, but you might want to add something to the discussion. And so I, I think that I think that footnotes are actually very useful as a like, you know, if you're interested, read this. But if you're not, you don't have to. Yeah. Uh, so I anyway, if your journal doesn't prohibit it, that's another way to go, either in the cheating way or, or, or in a more helpful way. Mm-hmm. And again, as a, as a reviewer, I'm I'm just tickled that my idea is now in the paper and other people who may have that thought, I have, have something to go on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the, the strategy of not thinking to yourself, how can I get this through peer review? But you know, how is this going to look in the scientific record 10 years from now is mm-hmm. a really, is a really good mindset to have. Um, I, I remember like early on when I was submitting papers, I would choose reviewers based on like, who do I think is going to like this and who's going to be sympathetic to this and, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of things. And now when I'm choosing reviewers, I'm thinking to myself, okay, who is going to catch it if I have not framed this right? Or who mm-hmm. like knows stats really well and will know if I did these analyses properly or, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and so when you're responding to the reviewer comments, I, I think the strategy shouldn't be like, how little can, get, can I get away with? But like, I want this is going to have my name on it for all time. So let's make sure we get it right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, I totally agree. And then I think also, again, thinking of it collaboratively, um, sometimes non-grumpy reviewers will ask you to do stuff that you don't want to do. So we've kind of mm-hmm. talked about like the grumpy reviewers having criticisms that you don't want to do, but you might get the most enthusiastic reviewer who says, this is amazing. Can you also run these four extra conditions, right? Mm-hmm. Because they like the work so much. And I think similarly there, you can kind of temper that, right? You can make sure that that you've addressed the the problems, but you again are not obligated to do everything that they that they say. Yep, um, it's also another nice reason uh, to have pre-registered your work. If the reviewers ask you for lots of other random analyses, you can you know it, it, I think it's much easier to say we prefer to stick to our uh, pre-registered analysis plan. And one thing that that we'll often say on our papers is like the data are freely available, and if you want to ask any questions of them, you're welcome to. But we set out to answer these questions with these analyses, right. and that's what we want to present. Yeah. And I, well, so I've done that too. And I feel like sometimes it's a, it's just a 10% of a cop out in a way, but it's also like totally valid. Right. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you have this other analysis idea that we didn't do. 
the data are there. You are welcome to do it. Uh, and I, I've never had a reviewer go go publish their own paper and do it. But but that's the whole point about making data open, right? Is sort of like people can explore other analysis strategies in a way that wasn't possible in in you know in prior decades. Yeah. So yeah, like we had a set of questions. We're answering those questions. Sounds like you want to ask different questions. Right. Exactly. That's not what this paper is. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yep. Uh, yeah, that is an interesting question, but beyond the scope of the current work, it's definitely mm-hmm. something I have written before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. We actually, we had an episode about data sharing. It was episode 18, which I'll also put a link to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our website is juiceandsqueeze.net, and the show notes for this week are juiceandsqueeze.net slash 30. Big 3-0. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Getting there. Um, okay, another uh, uh, point that I wanted to emphasize about responding to reviewers, even if you think they're wrong. We, we talked about this, I think, in, in our episode about, about writing. Um, but the one thing that a reviewer can never be wrong about is that, that something is unclear, right? If they think it's mm-hmm. unclear, it probably is unclear. Um, and someone who hasn't read it before is a better judge of that than you, given that, you know, you've had your head in this for a long time. Uh, and so I try to always be very generous when they're like, I'm just having trouble following dot, dot, dot. That probably means that needs some work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and sometimes reviewers don't use the words, uh, uh, this is unclear, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes they'll say, um, anyway, they'll, they'll, they'll give you some other suggestions or grumpy comments. So again, I keep using the word grumpy, but that's how I, re- I I've gotten grumpy reviewer. So that's my mm-hmm. favorite word. Um, but sometimes if a reviewer is giving you a hard time about something, it really is unclear, even though they don't say that. And so, so this is an, another strategy, um, is to try to reframe what the reviewer asks, hopefully in a helpful way. So I, I mean, you can, you could just reframe it like kind of disingenuously and like change what they said, you know? So like, please, please change the punctuation. And you write back and say, you know, we've added a reference, which isn't what they ask for. Um, but I think a helpful way of reframing is if someone has a lot of, questions or comments about a particular thing and you you think you just didn't explain it well you could you could even lump some of those comments together and and respond and say for the the above three comments we understand what the reviewer is saying we think this comes from a misunderstanding of of what we're trying to do we've now you know reframed it or rewritten this to make it clearer and here's how we think it solves the the problem so again you don't if you think the reviewer was totally wrong Sorry. Uh, well, uh, yeah, totally wrong. But sort of like you know, it was a, it was a misreading of what you wanted. You can you don't have to respond to what they actually said if you think there's a more fundamental issue. Mm-hmm. Does, you yeah. know, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Or similarly, if they say, "Oh, you never said X," and you did say that, rather than write back to them and say, "You know, you're an idiot reviewer. We said that on page 23." I I tend to write back and say, "Oh, we're sorry that wasn't obvious." you know, it appears here and here and we've now emphasized it. Right. So like rather than, you know, you think the best of the reviewer, if they really tried to review the paper and they missed a point, um, you know, take that on yourself, you you know, give them the benefit of the doubt and try to try to make it more clear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, One other issue that uh, uh, is important to, to address is that sometimes you get uh, a set of reviews back that the reviewers put a lot of time and energy into, and the editor has decided that it is not right for the journal or not salvageable or something. And so it gets just full on rejected, and you never actually are forced to respond to those specific reviews. Um, I would encourage you, 
if you're going to send it somewhere else, to still take the time to incorporate the feedback that the reviewers made. Um, both because they are humans who have spent time and energy and donated their expertise to you. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's still an opportunity to improve the paper before it goes elsewhere. Um, but also that it's entirely possible that you will get that same reviewer when you send it to another journal. Mm-hmm. And people will be very grouchy if they are given a paper to review and it turns out to be a paper they have already reviewed and you hadn't mm-hmm. haven't done what they said. So I think there's like a, a good science and moral reason to incorporate reviews, even if you send it elsewhere and a mm-hmm. strategic one as well. Has, has that ever happened to you as a reviewer that you've gotten a paper again? I, um, it's happened to me where I've gotten a paper, it got rejected, and then I wasn't a reviewer on it later, but I saw it published later mm-hmm. with many of the same problems that I had pointed out in the original review. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that's, that's frustrating to see. Um, it's frustrating to see both because the objections that I raised were really, you know, I were, I think reasonable objections that, uh, undermined the validity of the project. Um, and you know, that the authors like didn't respect the time that I put into it enough to, to do something about those comments. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, so I've gotten a couple of papers over the years where I've, I've, you know, it got rejected from one journal. I got it at another one. Um, and and sometimes I haven't realized it, so I've accepted the review and then and then and then realized I had the paper. And 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 honestly, most of the time they have not addressed the reviews from the prior round. I think it was like, oh, it got rejected. We're just going to send it somewhere else. Um, and that hasn't gone well for the authors in my experience. Mm-hmm. So yes, mm-hmm. I think it's it's worth addressing. And obviously, you don't have to address everything. Uh, again, punctuation, you know, maybe it's not important, but the big picture stuff is probably going to come back again. So one more kind of minor point, and I'm curious to hear what you what you do, Julia. Um, but I often, having in the response letter, having explained in a, you know in a sentence or a paragraph what what we changed, I often include verbatim the the section from the manuscript that we added or edited. Um, and the reason I do this is again as a reviewer, I actually appreciate this because um, it helps highlight the things that are changed in in the text. So frequently. Journals will request that authors submit a track changes version, um, and if I go and read the whole manuscript, I can find the the section that that you know was added and try to try to land up with the response letter. But but personally, I kind of like seeing that, and it it also kind of conveys to me um, that the authors are taking my comments seriously. So if they say you know if they say oh yes we changed it. Uh, and that's it. That's fine. But if we change it, here's the new thing we added. Then it, it just kind of helps me. Um, it, it makes my job easier as a reviewer. So, so I, I typically go through and 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 paste in not pages and pages. Again, another thing I've seen which is not helpful, but like a couple sentences. Like you know, you requested that uh, uh, you know this point was not clear, and that we sort of add a, an explanation. Here's here's the short paragraph we added. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you do? I actually don't like that. Oh. Um, uh, um, because it makes the decision letter longer, even if it's just mm-hmm. a short chunk of text. Mm-hmm. And I think usually that short chunk of text, um, it, it's best to see it in context, right? Mm-hmm. So it might it might look like you really address the issue if you're just reading those four sentences. But then if you see that you've said 10 sentences before that make a different point, mm-hmm. you know, those, those mm-hmm. seem a little buried. So, so what I like to do is say, we addressed it in the third paragraph of page six. Mm-hmm. You know, so that they can go and find it really easily, but it doesn't mm-hmm. add bulk to the decision or to the response to reviews. Well, that's actually so we, we've unintentionally illustrated a great point that um, uh, 
different reviewers and, and let's just say even different, very good, reasonable reviewers, uh, giving you and I both the benefit of the doubt, Julia, um, will have different like uh, opinions about things, right? Mm-hmm. Not only about your paper, but also like your response letter, mm-hmm. um, and which probably means you can't make everyone happy. Or not 100% happy, right? Yep. Yeah, so, right. So you do do the best job that you can do and respond in a, in a kind and reasonable way. And uh, that's the best you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, to wrap up, we would like to thank the listeners for their valuable time. Their presence here has uh, improved the podcast. And we look forward to seeing it published. That sounds great. I, I would love to get a, a comment <laughs> like that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Julia. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next time. Okay. Bye-bye.